This is the Post America Podcast. That's right, motherfucker. What the fuck you know about podcasting? This is our shit. Post America. Macho Black, Richie Crutch, Chrissy the Baboon. Post America Podcast, son. Download that shit, motherfucker. Post America podcast. I want to say hello to everyone out there. We are at Tsunami Fest right now. Um, very exciting news. Before we even announce who the exciting guests are, we talked last week about Boyer chocolates from Altoona, Pennsylvania, and oh, yeah. someone from Boyer was listening. Some angel from Boyer was listening and just sent us a big box of candy, Jimmy sticks, yeah, mallow baby. cups. Uh, peanut butter mallow cups and butterscotch mallow cups, along with dark chocolate mallow cups. Now, you guys know I always love mallow cups, one of my favorite. <clears throat> but I never even saw a Jimmy Stick before. This is brand new stuff. So I'm going to try. I tried a Jimmy Stick. It was great. And later on, I'm going to try a peanut butter cup because I never tried it. But, Joe, get on with it. Who's our guest? All right. This is amazing. Uh, unprecedented on this podcast. We talk about him nearly every single episode. The OG, baby. Who? Give oh. it up for Roger Moret. Oh. Oh. I was gonna say Hoya Rock. Now I know you hear. Now I know you hear the most famous voice. Oh, wait, too. You the most famous you know. speaking voice in hardcore. Give it up for my brother, Mr. Hoya Rock. Oh shit! My, I almost missed my intro. What's Hoya, you gotta get in close. What's you gotta up, hug everybody? Hug everybody. Real close. I'm just over here checking out the show. You guys are amazing. How's that yo. level, Chris? And check Am it out. Am I too close? Joe, could you do a, an imitation of Hoya Quick for Roger? What up, nigga? <laughs> That's perfect. That's pretty good, right? No, wait. Go listen ahead. to this one, though. Listen to I this got one. Wrist. Wait, hold on. Listen to this imitation. Go ahead, do, do one. Um, what am I doing? You, you see how did that <laughs> sound? <laughs> that was perfect. How, how, how do I sound amazing? That's gonna imitate Joe. Just sounding amazing. You got a sexy amazing. voice. Amazing. So we're very excited to have you both. Thanks for coming down here. Thanks for taking the time. I apologize for being late today. That's all right, gentlemen. Uh, Roger was I, mad, thanks for, thanks for Yo, I was here at 3 o'clock on point. Yeah, he was. But check it out. You're going to hear. Did tell you 3 o'clock? He told me 3 o'clock. Don't be late. Really? I got, I got the this text if I want to show you. Damn, These guys said they're going to be here at 3. That's insane. But listen, we got to apologize in advance. There's live music going on upstairs. Yeah, but that adds the cool ambiance. Yeah, I'm just letting you know, you know our, our bring engineer. Bringing back that Sarah Street flavor. But check it out. Roger has a new book called My Riot. I've started reading. I didn't finish it. Unbelievable. I'm stuck to it. I can't even sleep. I'm getting two hours of sleep because I'm, I'm. I bought it on my phone, so I'm like. You're reading it on your phone, yeah. yeah? And it hurts thank, my thank head, you, but I can't wow. stop. That's it's incredible. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, thank you. There's some. This guy's life. I mean, we know about Roger. Roger is responsible for what. Me and Chris, we're the guitar players of this band. Right. Chris played with Agnostic Front during a One Voice tour with his old band. So that's why we yeah. decided we what were going to... What band was that again, Chris? I was a band called uh, Medicamentous. What is it? Medicamentous. They play with you in Obsession. At Obsession's Randolph, Randolph, New Jersey. Jersey. I remember. Wow. Yeah. So that's the only... Wow. Usually we don't hang with nerdy dudes like Chris, but when he said he played with <laughs> AF, we said, yo, you're in, baby. <laughs> but to us, One Got Voice a pass. Yeah, one was voice the response. Is... That was the reason we became a band. 
specifically for that one album. We loved everything the band did, but that 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 changed everything. Oh, thank yeah, you. That was a, thank you. Definitely a game changer. No, thank you, Roger. But you guys, I guess you didn't. Did you start reading this book? I didn't start oh, yet. You son of a bitch. Listen, this is uh very busy. <laughs> this guy very busy, Hoya. He put he put himself in a, a magnifying glass. Um, yeah, I, I did. You know, I wanted to be honest with everybody. You know, as honest as I could be, and it was kind of uh kind of like uh, it was it was like i'm trying to look find the right word it was good to let go and release you know a lot of st- that very very therapeutic cathartic you know? pretty much yeah you know because i wasn't going to go as far as i went and as i kept going and going and going just That's felt what I good was thinking. you know when i was reading this stuff i was like wow like this is so honest and it's 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 like you know i don't want to say the wrong thing it's like almost a beautiful but tragic but beautiful life because it's like you don't want to see people go through those things, but you do want to see a great finished product, like the outcome being right, great. Right. You know, and that was that's what the the most the best thing about the whole book was. I did it for my kids, yeah. so they could see like my troubled life. You know, my voyage from Cuba here to America, joining the band, being part of such a great scene, New York hardcore scene. The, my unfortunate, all expense government paid vacation. Yeah. But out of it, you know, I just took all the best out of it, and, and I think I bettered my life, you know. Yeah. And I had to do, I had to go through all that to get to where I'm at now, and have my children, and and be where I am today. So it, it was it was meant to be. But at the the long run, I think I came out of it all right, man. Yeah, and there's still plenty, you know, more to the story, of course. But uh, you came here, you didn't speak any English. Not at all. I like, barely can speak English now. Nah, that's not true. <laughs> You're I asked my brother Freddie. We were uh, the true story. I asked Freddie when we were doing our last record. Uh, no, the one second to last. My life, my way. I asked him, "How do you spell if?" <laughs> he looked at me. He goes, "You serious?" For some reason, I totally forgot how to spell if. Just if. Blanked on I if. thought there was two F's. <laughs> I really thought there was two F's. That's the street oh version. God. That's the street spell. If he goes, that's if you you're really serious? not sure, you, you gotta ask him. If Yo, that's because I was hanging out with Hoya. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But yo, so you're here as a kid. You don't speak any English. You're thrown right into the public school systems. And where did where did you move specifically when you when you moved to America? When we first came to America, we were in Florida. From Florida, obviously, you know, in a camp. Till my family claimed us, we went up here, into Queens, right into Jersey, into Passaic, New Jersey, Patterson, New Jersey. That was that was really my upbringing. And it's uh, always the Jersey guys that do good things. I'm finding out. Yeah. Jersey right. guys are either going to go far or they're going to just fall flat. But right. both of those places are some pretty, pretty rough neighborhoods. Yeah. You know? Back oh, then, yeah. you know, we didn't know we were living in a ghetto. You're a kid. You're with your mom, your dad, whatever. Yeah. You go back and visit, like, holy shit, you know? And there's, uh, in, in like, North Bergen, there's, like, a big Cuban community. Yeah, now, well, there was there back Union, then. I or? ended up in Union City. Uh, uh, Patterson, Passaic, Union City was full of Cubans. Yeah. But most of the Cubans from Union City moved back down to Florida. And I think Union City nowadays, to me, is uh, it's it's more mixed now with more more Dominicans because Dominicans came uh, the next wave after the Cubans. Oh, it was yeah. Puerto Ricans, the Cubans, and Dominicans. Wow! So you're over here. You're a kid. I remember having some kids that couldn't speak English when I was in like elementary school. And you know what? Now looking back, I wish I was a better person to these kids. Not that I was a jerk to them, but just imagine being a little kid and you don't speak. And the teachers don't speak your language, and you know what they did to me um, back in it was nineteen in the sixties. You know, 
at least you had a little kid didn't speak English in your class, and he yeah. was gonna eventually pick it up with, yeah. with all of you. Because I don't, I don't. You know, back then what they did was because I didn't know how to speak English, they threw us in a slow class, basically in a retard class, wow. only because we didn't know how to speak English. Yeah. And I remember, I don't know if I told, it's in the book, that story about that kid from the Middle East yep. came to America, and somewhere in the Middle like, East, and he and he would read from, we read from left to right, he read from right to left. Yeah. And I knew, I knew the minute that kid was reading this way, I wanted to read that way. I knew it was going to be a punk rocker right there yeah. and then. I want to be like that Against kid. the grain. <laughs> Against the grain, exactly. Yeah. So you come here, you get through the school, you learn English. What about the like your, your mom and, and stepdad and, and your real dad, did they... Did they have trouble with English at first, or were yeah, you, my, did you become like a translator? Pretty much, I had to raise my brothers and sisters and show yeah. them how to do. And I didn't know any. I had nobody to help me with my homework or help me with anything. Yeah. So my mom, till date, if you ever, if you've ever met my mom, she's a quiet, but she's you know Spanish is her, her main language. Yeah. Same with same with my dad. I mean, they, that's why they're all in Miami because they can speak Spanish yeah. all the time. It's like it's like never leaving Cuba. You know what I'm saying? So basically, it was my responsibility to teach my siblings. English or get them going, you know, which yeah. my brother Rudy, my sister Myra, then Freddie came later on. Freddie was actually born in Patterson, New Jersey. The rest of my brothers and sisters, were, we were all born in Cuba. I gotcha. Did, did you ever get to go back to Cuba? We tried for the film. That film was coming yeah. out at the end of the month. We booked our flights. We had the show, everything booked. I booked flights with my mother, my brother Rudy, the band, and we got denied in Miami. No way. Why? Those The other guys had, had their valid uh, visas to enter yeah and they wouldn't let me my mom or my brother in because we're apparently if you're if you left before 1971 you're considered anti-castro or something like that and oh so you're and they some wouldn't kind let of record back. oh so cuba denied you cuba denied us wow. so the whole thing we lost we lost a shit load of money man we lost it all they're like sorry you can't come in and that was it just before you even got on the plane well we found out we got lucky we found we got lucky Friday we were supposed we were supposed to leave that that uh, Friday evening. Yeah. And at Friday the embassy sent all the visas and it wasn't none for my mom, myself, and my brother. So then we we American Airlines wouldn't even let us board a flight without the visas. Unbelievable. So that, that was shut down right away. So when you came here was were you considered a, a refugee? Yeah, we're refugees. So how is that your opinion now? With like re- people talk about ref- like Syrian refugees, does it make you like more compassionate towards them? Or I'm very compassionate more- towards. Be, to be honest with you, I know what it, I know what that feels like. You know. Yeah. Look, you know, not you know. There's there's always a there's always a bad seed in something. You know, but a lot of those people are leaving a battered war. Yeah. War country. You know, especially mothers or kids. You know. But it is what it is. Yeah, That's yeah. how my mom. My mom was just my mom and my and my brothers and sisters. That's it. My dad was in the military. He came a few years later, so I know what that feels like. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, what are you gonna do? So it it's kind of, you know, I'm all about helping people. You know. Yeah. But at, how do you help so many millions at once? That's yeah. the tough part. That's the only thing that's tough. You know? Well, you have personal experience as a refugee. So yeah. sometimes people hear the word refugee, they're not even positive what it means. They just think. And a lot of people right. just it sounds down. dangerous. To but them. you know yeah. what happened with us is uh, once we were, once my uncle started the problem, my uncle was the first one to come to America. So he started the process of bringing his brothers and sisters on my father's side all over. We were last. So we did all the process. And then we were called. And one minute you're called, you have to drop everything. And they count everything. My mom told me they count all the knives, the forks, your crayons, your toys. Nothing goes with you. Everything stays in Cuba. You're not allowed to bring nothing. They make an accounting of everything. Once you file that you want to leave. 
And that's what we did. So when they came back to the house, they checked everything, all the plates, everything was there. They said, okay, we can leave. And we left. And that was how it was. And then we came over here and then another process in America. There was a thing called freedom flights back yeah. then. They were trying to get the Cubans out, you know. Yeah. I never heard of that. The book, your book turned me on yeah. to that. I started Googling that. I so you I literally my had card, nothing? Card, everything. Yeah. You, had, you nothing. just had the clothes on your back. That's it. Clothes on your back. The minute you file your paperwork, that you're gonna you you're giving you're up giving up everything. everything. So for a year and, you're and a half, you're waiting for the call, right? It, it, my mom said it took about a year and a half. Yeah. For a year and a half, the minute they you file, they come in the house, they everything gets categorized, and then that year and a half later, they come back and make sure everything is there. Get the hell out. Wow. And you have to be ready right there. I get clothes on your back. Down the bounce. Plane. Yeah, that's it. That's brutal. My brother didn't even have a passport. Yeah. The only one that had a legal passport to leave Cuba was me. My brother Rudy didn't have a passport, and neither my nor my sister Myra, so they left without even a passport. They just showed up. Yeah, you know. So yeah, so ref the word refugee to you is something different. Yeah. Oh man, it's funny. Well, not funny, but some people some people just shut down when they hear the word refugee. They get it sounds like a scary thing. It you sounds know, like, or they get like an infiltrator. Just think about what we what we do as musicians, as bands, what the hardcore, what the punk movement is all about. It's all about oppression, overcoming oppression. It's kind of hypocritical. Right. To not want to help people. Yeah. You, you get it? Totally. But there's also like, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's, it's also like people, they're afraid. Yeah. Or there's too many at once. Yeah, and it's that's, overwhelming. That's overwhelming. Yeah. I'm sure if it's little by little, like it has been in Germany and stuff, releasing little by little, it's all it's yeah, all right. It's to all different good. areas and stuff. I had a horrible experience of two tours ago. Uh, second day of the tour, first night of the tour. Oh, I think I heard about this. The bus pulls, everybody runs out. I'm like, oh, let me go get my wallet. I go upstairs, get my wallet, come back around. I'm like, the, the gas, the bus guys gas in the bus. I come around the back and I see two feet hanging out of the trailer. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is in? And I open the trailer. And it was full of refugees. Holy crap. Full, I mean, like, there was nine of them. And then... Uh, Hoy is signaling that he would throw them right out. There was, there, was, there was nine of them. Yo, they, they all left. There were, like, like, four or five dudes left, and they left the women there. It was five women. And one kid stayed with his mom, like yeah. a 15-year-old. He stayed with his mom. And then they were like, oh, please, please help. I'm like, man, I'm sorry. And I felt really hit, hit me hard because yeah. I'm like, I know, but we can't. We're going to UK and you can't smuggle people. Yeah. You get it? Yeah. You and I'm the whole time I'm thinking, yeah, that's a hard then I went and I grabbed right the guys there. and I came back and then I'm like, yeah, make sure we know everything's good. We're, we're good to go. And then one of the guys climbing the back of the trailer found two more people. Pulled them Holy out and said, sorry, we, we can't come with us. But think about it now. Yeah. Now imagine if they all, they, all nine of them in the trailer and the only way you close that trailer is from the outside, right? Yeah. They would have fell out on the highway. Yeah. There would have been equipment, gear, merch, and dead people yeah. out there. And, and they're is, willing to do that to get man, out. They're of willing it. to do anything. Unbelievable. By all means necessary. Yeah. You know, it is what it is, man. And that's that's they were probably they look Syrian. Or you no, no, I, I, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I think they were uh, more like well, West African or something. Oh yeah. This was in France. Fuck. You know, everybody's trying to get to the UK. Yeah. I guess you know. Yeah. Well, that's like step one. The UK is kind of like one step past Europe you know just get being in Europe is a good sign for these people but then you get one step past there and then another you know like you're going over the ocean and America is the mountaintop yeah but it's hard yeah. to get to America the UK's America yeah. light yeah yeah even, even Diet America yeah. the only the only one that got and I don't even know how it got through got past our border was Maria what do you mean Hurricane oh. Maria. Oh, Hurricane Maria. I don't know how Trump didn't stop that one. Yo, you believe that Hoye is a Trump guy. You believe that? 
Nah. No, I'm not. Nah. <laughs> oh, now he's not. Oh, he's I'm all about love. When you're trying to round me up, you're all about Trump. Hoya. Well, we'll talk about Hoya yeah, later. We'll get, let's we'll talk about Roger right we're now. Gonna, Roger's, gonna on, Roger's on the schedule. Yeah. Lo, okay. Let's go back to Jersey. All right. You get into this music scene. I was reading your book. Seems you lived in kind of a cool location. Cool for the fact that it was near a venue. And that turned you on to some music early. Oh, the Capitol Theater. Yeah. In, in New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. And, we had uh, a, yeah, exactly. That was it. That's how it all started. You know, parking the cars in the back with my, my stepfather and stuff and live shows all the time. And yeah. I got a, I got my first quick glimpse at The Clash. And I wasn't really as fascinated on with them. I actually, you know, it was more of a backstage type of a deal yeah. as I was with the uh, Rastafaris that were on tour with them. Yeah. Like, I thought they're... Their accent was the was was like whoa! Yeah. What are they talking about? You yeah. know, compared in the class just had a very straight up UK. So accent. from where you are, you're seeing the back of the venue and kind of guys yeah. going in and out backstage area. And that's what we saw all the time. Carrying and, guitars, and, they, were, and in. they would always talk to us with kids. Yeah, you know, they were always really nice to us. Always, that's you know, cool. Like, that's really cool though. Not trying to chase you in no way. Yeah. You know, we didn't, nobody's starting trouble. And you saw the Ramones in there. No, I didn't see the Ramones. You ever you saw the Ramones plenty though, right? I saw the we're Ramones, big Ramones plenty. Fans. I saw the Ramones plenty. We're yeah. big Ramones. Fans. I did. What I was, was the? What I was worked the, the Ramones play because I worked when I worked for Rock Hotel and all those. I remember that was it. That the last time I saw them in New York City was a New Year's Eve show. I was working Rock Hotel in front of me, Rabies, and Jimmy Gestapo. And who did they? I mean, they might have played with Hellbent. Who? Hellbent, maybe. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I'm going back to like 1984, 85. That yeah. was the last time I saw them. Wow. What was the That's band that hooked you? Was there a band or a moment you know, that you the remember Ramones that, is that one hooked of them. you? Yeah, the Ramones is, is one of the top three. I think I mentioned in my book. You did, yeah. is one of them. Um, they they were definitely up there before any of them. Then I got hooked on the on the Sex Pistols. I got hooked on the Clash. I got hooked on all the Brit stuff, all the popular American stuff. The Misfits were a huge influence to me, especially in Jersey, being able to go to all the shows. Um, I got you know the Dead Kennedys, Black Flag, Circle Jerks, all the big names. Then I start. Then I found. Something like kind of what you guys are doing. I found that um, uh, Noise Radio, and they started talking about shows, local shows too, like the big shows, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. the Stand Out and this, and this play, all the big, the flat, black flag, all that stuff. But then all of a sudden you hear about the little bands. Yeah. And that's how kind of turned me on where to go. I started, went to Rat Cage Records, found, found all, made friends with all the little bands. I was in a little band myself, the Cycles, you know, and one thing led to another. The Cycles is probably the coolest band name I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Somebody had to be the first. The Cycles. Yeah. I bet a lot of people wow. try to be the Cycles. We're working on a new record. I told these guys I wanted to name the record the Modern Day Cycles, but I didn't get one response through the group text message, so I don't know if they're down for it. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, you know. The Modern Day Cycles. That's great, Roger. It's, it's already It should taken. be the nut job. It, it, it feels like it's taken, A Modern Day you know? Cycles, a nut job. Yeah. Okay, the nut job. The nut job. The nut jobs. <laughs> No, Wizard and Chain's hard. new record called "The Nut Jobs. and you do you go you go uh, a lot into loops. the you go a lot into the cycles in your book. <laughs> that sounds like they yeah. were like legit cycles. These guys, yeah, they were. They were, you know, that's who. That was my band, obviously before yeah. Agnostic Front. We we're good friends, man. Yeah, we, we, you know, and uh, we were the our that was our little band before I was asked to join Agnostic Front, yeah. and we would just go to shows. It, even when we weren't playing shows, just support all the other New York hardcore shows or. We didn't really go more at, at that point. wasn't really going to see as many New Jersey bands, except for like AOD or Bedlam's or if the Misses played or something like that. Yeah. 
and all those short core bands we used to love them all too but most at that point they more they started more coming into the city and playing like the a7 stuff with us but we'd make the long trips i remember us making a trip the cycles making that trip to see minor threat ssd control agnostic front fod that's at sick show. In, in, in New Jersey. That's amazing. And, I, and it, what that was is like everybody's team. It's like, you know, you get it when your band plays, everybody, sure. your team shows up to represent Gotta your represent. team. So all New York showed up to represent yeah. for Agnostic Front. Like one thing about Agnostic Front is they were always like the the home team. You yeah. get it, you know? Totally. They weren't always the best. There's, I could name I bands that were better. No, I could name great bands, but they were just that home team that you kind of, yeah. you felt attached to. Well, it became more than the home New York team. It became the home hardcore team. Yeah. That's, you know. And that's, that's who they were before I even joined. Yeah. You know, they just, that was, you know, yeah. that was, that's how it was. And it kind of still kind of remained that way. In your book, you were talking like, while you're in a cycle, it was kind of hard to infiltrate kind of uh, the New York scene, though. They were like kind of closed off to Jersey guys a little bit. It took a little, it took you just to keep on showing up. And then all of a sudden you get kind of accepted yeah, the, in there the new york's you know everybody had their uh scenes you know i get yeah. it you know, i always felt the jersey scene was pretty pretty um open-minded yeah. really was yeah. really was the new york you know there was a little bit of snobbinish going on in there but it was because it was it was a, a they were coming out of that andy warhol snobbyish uh art scene you know yeah. fashionable whatever so Coming into that whole new new hardcore look, coming in, or just the other suburban look coming in was a little bit different. And, you know, if you didn't go to Max's Kansas City, you weren't cool. There was a there was a bunch of a cool areas, you know. Yeah. But eventually, what really bridged everything together and let everybody's cool down, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, was the shows at CBGBs, where you know it it, be, it made the scene much bigger, and. And, and welcoming a lot more people. Yeah. So is that that's like a spot where all of those different cliques could come together and be cool at one spot. Well, what, what that was just a day spot. So most of the cliques of people I'm talking about were probably sleeping. Yeah. And then there, you know, it was just like the new the new scene, which is pretty much my youth, my scene coming through was kind of the more. Yeah. Uh, you know, their their theory was, uh, uh, live fast, die young. You know, we yeah. were like, we had kind of some of that, but we wanted to. You know, do something about it. Change. See if we could change something about it instead of be that 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 kill yourself, kill yourself type of type of thing. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that was where it was starting to change. But what what CBGBs did was see all the shows were like at the A Seven Club, the Mud Club, Peppermint Lounge. Uh, um, let's just do Max's. What all these clubs and we're all late, late, late shows. And back then, New York City was dangerous. It was it wasn't what we know now. You know, it was it was a scary scary place to go. And you couldn't tell your mom you're going to New York City. She's like, why, you know? Yeah. Who the hell goes to New York City? It's like, you know, as far as everybody knew, that's where all the criminals lived, you know? So then once CBGB started doing shows, you could get away. You could say, hey, mom, I'm going to go to my friend's house um, or I'm going to go to the movies. I'll be back in four or five hours. You get to CBGB's. Show started at three. It was done by six, six thirty seven. You're home by nine. Beautiful. She didn't even know you Nobody went to like one not. of the most dangerous places yeah. in America at the time, you know? And that's that's really what opened up. And then plus, you know, you start meeting people. Then you start taking that adventure that you were a little bit maybe concerned about doing, going at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, 87 Club. It's, it was a little risky, but now you know you have some people you could group up with. Yeah. Know? And that's how it, it became what it became. And CBs is so important to AF because of those live albums. Yeah, you know, we we every one of our live albums, all three of them were at it's a live yeah. CBGBs. And the production on those albums. They're incredible, man. How the hell are they so good? 
I never like, I can never enjoy live albums except those albums. You know, I'm 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 like you. I'm not a live album guy. Yeah. But um, that album, especially especially the first one, I was I was I was locked up when that came out. But that album was like kind of the equivalent to like in the rock world, the Peter Frampton live album. Yeah, that album was is the punk hardcore live album of that caliber. Yeah. Like everybody had to have live ICBGBs. Yeah, you know what I mean. I don't. I can't think of any other live record like that. Me neither. You know, I, I can't think really think of. It's because it's the hardest thing about a live album is to record the energy in the room. I think that's very it. hard. It really, it really captured. One, yeah. Like you said, Peter Frampton, like that captured a moment so well that it's it's or timeless. Kiss alive. It's yeah, the exactly. same thing with mm-hmm. the, with with CBGBs live. It captured the energy in the room because I, I, I first heard that Richie played that for me in uh, back in the day. It was back in the day, but Richie yeah. played that for me in his car. I said, "Listen to this," and it was like and even last warning and chills. It was yeah. like you know, what I mean, like one of those moments when you're listening and nobody talks, and you just listen from front. And the to thing back. is, the energy is captured on there, but also for the guys that don't care about energy, they're more of the productions, the metal types. The productions over the top. And every pick yeah, of the guitar great. is right in your face. And, yeah, the, and, you know, we didn't even know that was being recorded. That's the crazy thing about it. <laughs> we, to, we were playing a regular show in 1988. Yeah. And uh, I remember being a mobile truck set up out there, but I didn't know what that was. It was Howie Abrams was behind that whole thing. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's the one that had that whole thing recorded. We were okay. just playing our regular show. Yeah. But at the time, he was, he, was, he was doing the In Effect records. He was trying to get all live bands to do some kind of a live thing, and then he record that show and it just came out so the way it sick. came out that's awesome you know i wonder if, awesome. if you knew it was being recorded if it would have i came didn't out as know good. anything but if you knew it would you have been you might have been a little different yeah you might not you have might, act, not you might have, have tried to play it up a little like oh shit we got to be extra good you might have changed the thing that's, ladies and gentlemen you might have been that's like, even crazy is even the attempts of recording a live record you you seen the videos yeah. of those shows yeah like how do you even get anything crystal clear that you see everybody's on stage as a mob you know yeah. that's what did it for me was also the video that you guys had on Headbangers Ball. The anthem video. After yeah. after seeing that video, I was not interested in any more heavy metal yeah. or any other kinds of Me music. But you, yeah. you know what? I've always said that Agnostic Front's always been more of a live band. Yeah. Capturing us on records, we got our records, but you know, that's why a lot of them even sound a lot different from each other. We're just we're more always been a live band. And I think that live album captured it and then all our live albums capture us at, at our best. Mm. Because if you yeah. then you listen to those live albums, all those songs gel perfectly. Yeah, and it's Nothing a it's a, it's weird. it's different members throughout the live albums too, and they're still working. They're still sounding great, and that's that's another thing. You guys went through a lot of of uh, of different guys and guitars, drummers, but always seem to maintain like no hard feelings, no crazy dramas. I think that's a sign of uh, that's just a, a a good reputation. Like you know, you guys have a real good. It's reputation. It's always been that way with us. You know, like. Most of the people that have left the band, it's all for whatever reasons, family, whatever, some yeah. other things they had to do. I don't, I don't, I can't think of any really bad blood, you know. Yeah. And we're all friends. Yeah, every yeah, that's one, the vibe every I get. one of them, they still come out to our shows. They still hang out, you yeah. know. Like it's, it's always been a family thing to us. Yeah. It's, it's no, weird, that's that's the know? vibe, and like I said, when you you know you see other bands, ex members, they hate each other, they don't yeah. talk to each other, they you know they just disrespect each other. You don't see that agnostic front. Yeah, and that's why I noticed in your book you talk about Harley a lot. I know Harley right now is kind of on the outskirts with a lot of people, like you know just 
his social media, from seeing his social media, I see he's got a lot of issues with people. You kind of speak highly of Harley. You guys had a lot of stuff early on. You were good friends. and We were really good friends. You know, I mean, that's the truth. We were really yeah. good friends. We, from the minute I met him, he was, his, his band, The Stimulus, was a very big, influential band to me. And, and then when I, got, when I met him that time, when I met him the first time, it, I mean, the first, when I met him was in the first time I saw Vinny with, you know, in the crowd with us later on. He, you know, it was, it was, we clicked, you know, yeah. and we, we, we were friends. You know and he was like mean? a little kid around back. Well, you're all kind of like. Yeah, we you. were all little kids. Yeah. And we really looked out for each other. We were, you know, we were tight. Yeah. Really was. And, and th- you know, I don't, you know, where, where things end up, even, t- I mean, even think about it, even the last show at CBGB's, Hilly asked me, I want you to do the last matinee at CBGB's. I think Agnostic Front should do the last matinee at CBGB's. And then I went, I got all the bands. I asked Harley to play. Harley, well, very well deserved to play. Harley's War played that last show. Yeah. You know, the, the guys had a magnificent life, uh, completely interesting life, you know, from even before, let's let's, let's talk before even the Chromax or anything like that. The yeah. guy was always, he's had a, an amazing life, you know. Yeah. He's kind of had the life my brother Freddie has had with me in the hardcore era, oh, yeah. in the punk era. Because yeah. he was a little kid bought by his, his aunt Denise, yeah. which is also a great woman too. And then I bought Freddie around too. So, no. you know. He's got his book. He wrote his things, what he feels about stuff, and I didn't get to read that. I didn't get to read that. You one. know, everybody's. I mean, there's a couple of good books out there. I'm sure yeah. it's everybody's opinions on stuff. Sure, yeah. You know? Everybody has their own perspective, and I and uh, these guys probably don't know, but a story he mentioned in his book was uh, a tryout for the Cro-Mags, basically. Yeah. Harley wanted me to sing in the Cro-Mags. That's crazy. You never knew that. I never knew. See that? that? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And, and, and then you mentioned something called Cro-Mag Skin. Right, because I've always, I played bass in a lot of bands. And yeah. we were doing a show. You know, Harley always had that tape with him. That was, it. he was going to call it a seven, a, seven Inches of Harley or Harley Seven Inch because it was a seven yeah. inch record. Yeah. It's supposed to be on Rackage Records, if I remember correctly, you know. And uh, he always had it. We would always listen to it. And uh, I and then one time he wanted to play, he's like, yeah, let's play, let's play a show. And uh, AF was playing. It was in, in Brooklyn somewhere. So I remember going into the AF van, and uh, Paris was there too. He was playing a guitar. I'm picking up the thing on bass. I heard, let's just go play the songs. And then jumped on stage. We played the songs. That's crazy. Eric Casanova sang. And it was just, it was more of a jam session yeah. than anything. Because we weren't really a band. It was yeah. just us friends. Like, let's just play a show. We were just excited. That's what we all did. A lot of bands would do stuff like that. That'd be just great. Just jump on stage and play four or five songs. But, you know? Yeah. Then eventually, they got a little bit more serious with Eric Casanova and a bunch of members. And when Eric left, Harley had asked me to sing, and I already had Agnostic Front going. I had Victim of Pain out there, you know, and I was already yeah. my baby starting to, to, you know, I was nursing my own baby, and I kind of knew, uh, I kind of knew me and him were like kind of headstrong with leadership and bands and stuff like that. So I knew we would eventually butt heads if anything, you know. Yeah, yeah. And put, putting all friendship and everything else aside. Yeah. But um, I just wanted to pursue what I was doing with Victim of Pain. Yeah, of course. But I, I, I respectfully showed up. You know, yeah. I, I was showed up. There was an addiction. I showed up, sang whatever. But, um, you know, we were just friends. Just that's respect. just a, that's, to me. That was a cool story. You know, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, man. you know what's cool? Well, the last tour that we were we just did, did with Terror, um, we were a few nights on the tour bus. 
we would have like hardcore trivia where you try to stump people <laughs> really? and like bring up obscure facts about hardcore bands and shit like that. That would have been a good one. On Scott there. Vogel thought he was the king of that shit, but we put we, that put that shit in, the, in your pocket for later yeah, for the next yeah. time because that's a good one. Yeah, that man. was cool. Well, now it's in the book. That's the only reason I know. It's in the book. That's amazing. So the, the, when Age of Coral came out, that was that was a big record to me too. That was a huge record to me. But uh, yeah, Harley's stuff is yeah, you can't deny it. It's fucking, that's a great album, man. But I just thought it was cool that you know you were, you possibly could have been fronting that band, you know. Yeah, I just I was on my own mission. I had Victim in Pain. Yeah. Just out, fresh out. Yeah. You know, like and that was record was just. And you said by Victim in Pain, you started taking over stuff that Stigma used to do, before you were kind of around, right? Pretty like, much, yeah. When as soon as I came into the band, I kind of came into what what was going on with United Blood. Yeah. And I threw in a couple cycle songs that I had with the cycles. I threw them into United Blood, and you know I was just going off what was there. But yeah. then I I also had a bunch of my own songs, my own creativity, which was all victim of pain. And uh, and Todd Youth helped me out a lot with that. Oh yeah. Todd Youth was big big yeah. on that. And then he, a lot of projects. Yeah. Lot of, and of... and it, this was his first project. Yeah. Oh, Todd wow. Youth That's was the very it first. That was Todd Hughes was an agnostic front between Adam and and Kabula, but there was also a couple other bass players in there. Elroy yeah. was in there. There's a couple other guys in there, but Todd Youth only because Todd Youth kept getting picked up by the by his their, his parents who would hire detectives to go find him, yeah. so they really? would pull him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. He was supposed to record "Victim in Pain," but he got pulled out again. How old was he at this time? Oh, he was like thirteen years old. Thirteen years old. I mean, that, that makes sense. He's running around with these. Uh, right. He was playing bass I think for his agnostic parents front. Might have made the yeah. right call. You know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they, with the information provided at the but time, but you know what's they made crazy, right Joe? You know what's crazy is like you think that, and I think that too. Now that we're parents, we we, we got children, we get <laughs> yeah. it. You know. But think about this. Think about me having my brother. I have pictures of him six years old, not even seven, six years old at CBGB's watching the Bad Brains. You know, hanging out. Unbelievable. In, in fucking in the middle of or in the A7 club. I, I look at my kid who's eight years old, my little son, Desi. Yeah. I'm like, wow, what the fuck was I thinking? Yeah, but like, you, you know, yeah, like, yeah. No. but you I made, thought my brother was safer with me. Yeah. And with my friends than he was at home because, you know, my uh, you yes, read my book, yes. you know. You know the stories about home life is, was not so to me. Being with me, with living with, with a bunch of criminals, misfits, crazy people around, shooting people, shooting shooting guns, or people shooting up, that was felt safer to me. If you read the book yeah. and you felt, if you saw where my journey, you know what I mean. You yeah. guys gotta get this book. That's but it. you, you kind of built yourself. You just keep digging yourself out of holes and building a strong foundation underneath you so now you're looking back at what you did and it's crazy yeah. but at the time you're probably right you made the right call i think you did yeah. looking yeah. in the room that we're in today and i think i did Frost a big plan yeah. and matt ball's yeah. plan i think you did a good thing you know i think I, mean? I did a good thing too you know i mean my brother is my brother he's he's yeah. amazing and, and it, you know i'm glad i did I really am glad I did. He took his. He took Madball. You know, Madball was our our little side project band forever. You know, it was never meant to be serious. Those two singles, it was, it was just us having fun. Old AF songs, having fun. We weren't even allowed to put our our photos or our names on. If you notice, it's different people on photos because we were on Relativity or whatever we were. It was just fun. I did it for my brother. I really did it. Yeah. You know? But then where I give him mad respect is like when he took over and set it off, and he really did his own thing. Yeah, he really took it to the next level and beyond the next totally. level. He he made you know he he came out of a shell of living under the 
agnostic front show his whole life, you know? And who would That's think you could do that, front, really? Yeah. And so, he came out, and he did his own thing. Yeah. You know? So with Set It Off, that's more of Freddie's vision, and before that... Right, even or Freddie and Hoya, or whatever you know, whatever right. the team the, the team was. That's their vision from Set It Off onwards. Pretty much, but did, don't forget, there's a lot of songs on Set It Off that are yeah. early AF songs, right? Too. And there's a lot of lyrics of that that are early AF stuff because it's early early stuff. And then you, they share a drummer no, and guitar player. But players. Set It Off, they're the more Madball today sounding Madball songs. Yeah, are is they're they're pretty much they're you know they're uh, they're, they're they're ramped. To, yeah, that's amazing, and you know it's amazing too because he would have nothing to write about. Well, not not nothing, but he you like you the the life that you provided for him gave him something to. That he you get you gave him that easel that he could that yeah he could you know paint he, on. and he's always been very passionate about it. He took he took it beyond he took it into a farther dimension. He kind of linked other music with it. He linked his own style with it. Yeah, he incorporated other stuff into it. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and he's a great lyricist. That's what I'm trying Even to get like at. Even like the newest yeah. of the newest Madball, the, it gets the lyrics better, are getting better and, and better and, and better. better. Yeah. He yeah. went to school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but oh, he yeah. didn't go to school as long as, not much longer than I did. I mean, we took him on our first Madball tour. He was uh, he was just starting ninth grade. I think I, I think all he ever did was ninth grade. So have I. We're both in ninth grade yeah. dropouts, pretty much. Yeah. You know? And then, uh, but he... He kept going, man. Kept going at it. That, that one voice tour is what really sparked him up. You know, I don't know if you remember that one voice tour where it was a, a the uh, um, obituary cannibal obituary agnostic from cannibal course malignant creation. That tour. Yeah. I had to get surgery in the middle of the fucking in a, in a very kind of a week into the tour. I had to fly me from from Chicago home for had appendix surgery. You oh know? wow! And they're in a tour. Freddie was out with us. Freddie's my brother. He's always yeah. out with me. Guess who had to sing? Oh, All the songs. Wow. He was pissed. Yeah. I think I said in my book too. He's mad. He's like, fuck. He's cursing. Like, I can't fucking. I would bring him out. He'll do one or two songs. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. But now he's got to do them all. <laughs> Holy shit. You know, he's got to talk. He's got to talk yeah, between songs. Next thing you, you know, gotta... I left. I tried to come back two weeks later. I couldn't. Three weeks later, he's still singing. When I finally came back for like the last week and a half, he didn't want to leave. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he turned. And then they're like, all like, get out of here. We got a better singer. Stay home, oh, you know? Oh, shit. That is awesome. <laughs> and that's the whole start, really. That's yeah. the whole start. That's amazing, man. Yeah, that, how, you had to, Yeah. there's no way you're getting back in two weeks after that surgery, right? Nah, yeah. I tried. You know, they had all these painless surgeries and quick so, recovery surgeries, but not for what we do, screaming. Yeah, that's yeah, all you pushing. I mean? That's all core. That's yeah. all pushing. Yeah. 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 Pressure. Well, I, I so if you go, if you go and you go back and you look at all the bass players you had, outside of Gallo, who's a, a, a crowd favorite, who's your guy? Who's your bass oh, player? Craig Satari. Satari? Satari. I love Satari. Wow. He's gonna love that. He's answer. a podcast Sitari, favorite, yeah. also. He's gonna love I, that. You know, answer. but but Craig Satari is up to. So is Kabulo. Kabulo's my right hand man. Yeah. Kabulo's. Kabula's my 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 you know I love I love it's horrible I mean you're putting me in a bad situation but Kabula's been my partner all along yeah Kabula's been in and out of Ignacio Front like f- three times yeah and he's that one guy that had to leave for family he had kids and whatever you know and he loves it he loves coming in coming out coming in coming out you know Craig was one Craig was it Craig took his Craig took someone else's place after Kabula left and then Kabula came back and then Mike Gallo and you know it was back and forth like that but. Between Kabula and Craig, but you know, I love call. Craig, but uh, I had 
Had some of the more killer tours with Kabula. Yeah. So it's a tough call. Fuck Craig, Kabula. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Scully. You know, Craig gave us a bad story about nah, this. No, nah, no. Yeah, you know you know that, that prick bastard? He called up some interview I was doing with some really Did nasty <laughs> low-blowing. And I knew it was him. I knew no it was him. I was like, that's got to be Craig. And, they, and they were like, yep, it's him. He told us when he was a, a, a young guy, it was snowing out, and he had these brand-new boots. Oh, yeah, that's a great story. I love that story. And Can he I took tell them it? off. Yeah, yeah please. Tell it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories. But besides the fact that I was going to oh, – well, anyway, he took <laughs> off his boots. He, that's a true story. And he left it outside Vinny's thing to go in, to go into Vinny's house. So on our way out, I saw his boots. So I took his boots and I threw it down the incinerator. Incinerator. Wow. They used to have incinerators in the buildings, yep. you know, blow. Yeah. So he had to go home. <laughs> he took Vinny's mother's mop. She could one flight <laughs> downstairs. And he went home all the way back to Queens from the city, stepping one step at a time on a mop. Wow. Got on subway you know, he left the mop part out. He left the mop part out. Yeah, he stole he stole Vinny's mom's mop that she would leave outside all the time. And that's how he got home. Wow. Wow. That's, and that's this was like thing. in the winter, right? Yeah, that like, man. It was like oh, two feet of snow or something like that. I was like, <laughs> That's a mean thing. And he was cursing me out though because he knew I did it. But you, you, you were saying it, no though. for a while. You denied it. Uh, yeah, but he knew I did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. I used to take him. I used to bury my clothes just for for the sake of just to make him nuts. He's my project. He's like my masterpiece. So I would go and bury my tour clothes. The only thing he didn't know is I buried it only a few days before. But he thought I buried it from when I got back. And right before we go on tour, we go into my backyard and we... Oh, up on the dirt and grab all the clothes on the tour. I said, okay, we're ready to go. Oh my God. Holy like, shit, I, that's I, demented. Yeah. And then I used to cook paella. You know paella, right? Yeah. yeah. Paella. And we I would I would get a live roach and I'll throw it in. We'd all be looking at each other. Me, oh, him, Maddie Henderson. Because we don't know who ate it. Yeah. So just goes into the mix. We just look at each other as we're eating. And one time Craig came with his mom to eat my paella. Oh my god. He's looking at me. He's like looking at me like like I'm like, I didn't do it. You didn't. <laughs> and he do got it for mad that. that I didn't put the roach in. It. He, that's the best, <laughs> oh, the best shit. ingredient. He's all, I heard a story when we were on tour with with Mabo one time. Freddie said that you you were cooking dinner for uh, for your brothers and sister, and you you cooked them cat food, dog food, apple. Dog food. That was actually in a book. That <laughs> was in, in a book. book. Yeah, apple. Oh, that's crazy. And they man. loved it. I told, <laughs> it, I told him it was sloppy Joe. <laughs> I told him it was sloppy Joe. Then, then I told him the truth up. afterwards. They went mad. You're a notorious prankster. I yes. was. You know, I, 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 I have been. We've heard, we've heard about it first, well, secondhand, I guess, because uh, our drummer Luke played oh, with you and yeah. Roger and the Disasters, and uh, I got him. You quick. used to torment him. Yeah, I tormented him right off the bat. Easy target. Which we, made, we, we love that. We I mean, do our best to keep it going. The only, the only reason he actually got in the band to begin with, because uh, we thought there was a better drummer. Oh, mm, shit. Ready for this story? Yes, please. There was a better drummer. And the only reason he got into the band is because his name was Luke. Because I was talking you to Reese. I'm like, I'm like, I, I, yeah, I was like, I look at Reese. I'm like, ah, I'm telling him I think the other guy's better. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm like, what? What do you mean? He goes, no, 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 no. Luke. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, Mama Luke. He's in the band. Boom. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just torture We're from that use day on. Yeah. Mama Luke. From wow. that day on, torture. Wow. I love Luke, amazing. man. He's, you guys are lucky. He's a good guy. Nah, come he's, on. We're not that lucky. I know. 
No, 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 you are. You got man. the he's, number of the other guy that didn't make it in? Yeah, I'll give you that number later. Yeah. But he's got a good heart. Yeah, he, he is. He's a very. Uh, he's a really good person. He's a very uh, dramatic, I mean, uh, compassionate, nice, sweet yeah. guy. He's a good guy. Nah, he, He'll have you back. He has loyal, your back. Though. He's very loyal. Very, very loyal. Very he loyal. accepts all, all types of uh, ball picks and everything you shoot yeah. on his phone. That was. Yes. Can I tell that? You can. Oh, that was amazing. This is a recent Another story. Prank. This is a very recent prank where I got to see. You got to see I got to see Roger at work. <laughs> and you looked like you were like a 12-year-old kid. Like He's you were so happy, the biggest smile on your face because <laughs> we were at a festival in Germany and Luke, we were we were eating breakfast and Luke got up from the table and left his phone on the breakfast table. Mistake one. And Roger's face turned into he was so happy. It was a kid at Christmas. A little kid at Christmas. He picks up Luke's phone, and he said to me, I'm going to go take a picture of my balls. And he ran into the bathroom, took pictures of his balls, and he came back laughing, laughing, like with glee. And he said, I took a picture of my balls. You want to take a picture of your balls? <laughs> and Yo, you did. So I did not. I did, did not. I did not. Come on, no. throw a black ball in there. Yeah. And but then, Luke <laughs> did say that your balls were very black. He's like, yeah. how, he's like, why are they so dark? Is this yeah. your balls, Joe? <laughs> so, but but then I gave him the phone. He was all going crazy looking yeah, for the phone. And I gave it to him. Then he saw the pics. But then when you while you guys were playing, he left his phone down again. <laughs> Big mistake number two. And while you guys are playing... Yeah. And I'm standing by, right by him. He's looking at me. I'm dropping my pants. I'm taking all the kinds of pictures. <laughs> Motherfucking, I'm rubbing it on my no balls. Like right by the speaker, I'm rubbing I it. I didn't even notice. Bitch, he's like, Motherfucker, he's cursing at oh, me. Oh, wow, that's amazing. That then awesome. I took a picture of him playing. He's smiling. It was a great picture. He yeah. posted that picture. Yeah. Yeah, he, but, oh, he loves I a good picture. I rubbed it all real wow, good. Wow, that's you amazing. Go. And I gave it to Scott, and Scott took a ball pick, too. Yeah. Oh, did he? Yeah. Vogel's balls are on there, too. Joe, yeah. you should have threw one in there. Come on. Hey, you know, my balls are private. Yeah, dude, we, we hear some wild private stories, parts, man. You know? <laughs> Let's go back, though. We got to go back a little bit. What was the time around, like, uh, you get locked up? That was before uh, One Voice yeah. came out? And what was the charges? Like, drug-related stuff? Drug-related, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, uh, you know, I kind of relapsed, started thinking about my family when we came from Cuba. I was living, I'm living in abandoned buildings. I'm living in squats. I'm living in a shithole, pretty much. Yeah. And I have a baby now. So you could imagine, you know, I'm like, oh, and I remember my daughter was sleeping in a, 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 a drawer, like a chest of drawer drawer, you know, and I freaked out. Like, man, I can't be raising my kid in rats and roaches. I'm like, I got to do something better. So I wasn't out peddling drugs, not like your street peddler. I was more like, you know, you know, I had a good, good word, good repetition with a lot of good people. And they were like, hey, take this package, bring it over there. And I took this package over there, made some good money. Oh, take this package, we're going to there. And it was just like that. Actually, you know, I'm making good money just moving big packages. Yeah. That's it. Not not understanding what happens afterwards, you know, the circumstances. Yeah. Then I got, you know, I got popped, whatever. I got ratted out, to be honest with you. And uh, while I was incarcerated is when everything started coming to me because, you know, I, I was fine. I was incarcerated. I was fine. I could handle myself. No big deal. I, you know, it's like I'm living in the streets. It ain't nothing different. Yeah. Except for you're caged up, but if you can stand up for yourself, you stand up for yourself. You know what to, how to respect, how to not, what to do, not to disrespect. But the problem was my daughter watching her at my visits, and you know, not being able to live, be with her, and watching my girl at the time, my mother, my brother, even little Freddie he came to one of our. We, we had we used to have uh, the festivals in the prison. I played in a, in a Spanish Latin band in prison. 
my Force of Latina. I only played it for the festival so my family could come up. And Freddie came up once. Latin Force. Yeah. That's hard. Freddie came up and they let, him, they let you in the, in the, in the prison yard. Yeah. And I was hanging out with Freddie, you know, playing in my band, you know. And then they have to leave eventually. I was like, yo, you know, talking to Freddie. He was a little kid. I was like, this is where you don't want to go. So be careful. Be, you know. But I realized in there it's like that how what that package would do to other people. You know, to me, it was I'm bringing this to you, making 200 bucks. But I didn't think about what you were going to do to give it to him. And he was going to cut up and give it to him. And then who knows? Somebody could pass over it, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean? Someone eventually OD'd over it. Yeah. And that's when I really gave it a thought. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing, man? Like, I, you know, that's when everything kind of, I woke up. I'm like, I, mean, I, I hurt everybody I love. It wasn't about me anymore. And that's when I said, that's it. That's it. Oh wow! But I want to go back to one voice though, because you didn't mention it. Yeah. One voice in that era I'm talking about is one of my favorite records in theme wise. It's the only record that has a full theme. Totally full theme from front to end. My upbringing to what to end to why everything happened. It's all based on. It's like my Pink Floyd, uh, the wow, War. I love it's that like my Who Quadrophenia. I love that. It's you a said theme that. album. You know, a whole, my whole prison experience is that album. That's the only album that's ever been like that with Agnostic Front. Yeah. So it's kind of a unique album. Yeah. And if you listen to it, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of like a roller coaster ride. You know, there's some really good songs in there too, and but they're like all these crazy shit. Like, like no, it's a great. It's a whole really crazy. It's yeah. a trip. It's yeah. like a roller coaster ride, and you're just going through this thing, and this guy's telling you about like, hey, you know. This, you know, what's going on here, what's going yeah. on there. And that's, that's why I love record, that album. That's not a record that you just pop in and pop out. Like, you listen no. front to back to that right. record. Right, and it's not yeah. just one song. Okay, what's the next song about? Okay, what's the next song about? Yeah. This, this whole thing is a theme. It's a story. And I love that you said Pink Floyd because we're big Pink Floyd yeah, fans. And the way and they you know, write the albums. The, the wall, wall is a, exactly. a, it's a movie. It's a theme. Yes. You can make that a movie, that yes. album. You can make one voice a movie. Yeah. The Wall is obviously an album. Totally. Or, like I said, The Who Quadrophenia. It's a movie. It just flows. It's yeah. A, it's a whole thing. It's not one song. It's one whole theme. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a whole ride. And it's all about my prison experience. Yeah. Yeah, the lyrics on that are great. The songs. The songs are, like, diverse. You know, like, to me, I always said when you talk about one voice, it's the best hardcore album and it's the best metal album. Because It's, it's, it's kind of like the beginning of the new school hardcore. Yeah. If you drop my vocals out, drop the leads out, throw Freddie's vocals in, it's a great Madball record. Yeah, definitely. If you ever think about yeah. it. That, that album in itself, it was just, even the outcome of that album, it's just, it's just a, when I think about it, it's just like when I listen to it front to back, it's, 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 it's my book, it's my story. And I, and I break it down a little bit in the book when I talk about this, talk about that stuff that's in one oh, voice. I can't wait to get to that, yeah. You know, like the prison parts, all talking about yeah. the one voice when, you know, everything is broken down. But that's just such a intense record for me. Yeah. Because I was cooped up for, for, you know, 18 months, whatever I was in there for. Yeah. And I just had this whole thing, you know, boiling me. I never even saw Live at CB when it came out. It came out while I was incarcerated. I didn't even know it was out. Was yeah. the band doing anything while you were locked no. up? No. No? No, they were, on, they were on hold. They didn't know when I was going to be out, to be honest. No? Yeah. Wow, yeah. That, that record, yeah, that changed uh, my route that I was going. And, and if you notice, I never talked a lot about it. And that's the other thing about the book. There's stuff in the book that people don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty, pretty closed-up guy, you know, like... I'm not like Vinny. Yeah. Vinny, Vinny, eh, everybody, you know, yeah. Vinny's that guy. I've always been more, you know, I'm, I've always been introvert, more more closed up, more quiet, more to myself. And that's my first experience of me telling you that my experiences besides one voice. You don't you don't really find stories about me talking about it at all. No. A lot of the this book, stuff. In I'm... the book, it goes into a lot of depth. There's like yeah. four subjects in that book. 
the refugee subject, yeah. hardcore subject, prison subject, and here we are today. Yeah. No, yeah, a lot of stuff. And I'm I'm a quarter into the book, and I'm a diehard Agnostic Front fan who thinks he knows a lot about the band and stuff I'm, I'm reading. I can't believe it. One crazy thing you were talking about in the book was basically like the gentrification. You were saying basically uh, uh, of the area Lower East Side, you and your friends and that whole scene was almost like the experiment or the open the door of eventual, like they left you alone. Pretty much let us do whatever we want. Roger was saying the cops were kind of like, Dude, we'd be selling. We'd be selling. We'd be sending Freddie to go get forties when he's six, seven years old and get the store. Who the hell does that? Yeah, you can't even get cigarettes. Yeah, you know, forties. You know, and they didn't care. They let us do anything so we want. So you think that was the ultimate plan? I think that was the ultimate plan from Operation Pressure Point. Yeah, which is when he got rid of all the shooting galleries, to kind of using us as an experiment as we kept going deeper, deeper into the Lower East Side. You know, not. Going deeper, deeper into the Lower East Side to buy drugs. We were just going in there and living shows and living. So they in there. were sending you in as like a, like they weren't dealers. doing it. They were just allowing us to. They were, we had friends that were friends that were hung out. They were like Officer Craig. Like they watched. Yeah. They knew what was going on. We were like feelers. You know what I'm saying? Because they didn't want no. They didn't want no. Sh- those drug infested streets. The last thing they wanted was a show. When they're trying to run drugs, they didn't want yeah. people there. Only reason they want people to go there is. In and out to get drugs or go in a shooting gallery and get the hell out. They don't want a show where there's a bunch of people hanging out with potentially cops that come up. Yeah. So they were allowing these little shows to happen. The cops knew what the fuck was going on to distract yeah. stuff. And little by little, people started moving in. Yeah. You know? And then there's there's a bunch of people around one corner. A restaurant opens up on the corner. And then, you know, and then another little wow, store. That's and, amazing. Yeah, when I heard him talk shows, about that, I was yeah, like, you know? wow. Because, it, 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 you know, we, we see the outcome like of the Illuminati Lower East Side shit. now. It's like an Illuminati trick. Yeah, straight up Illuminati. The long game. Yeah, yeah, totally blew my mind when he said that. I'm like, wow. Holy man. shit. Yeah, if they're observing what's going on with these bunch of crazy kids that aren't just going in there buying drugs and leaving, but going in there, setting up shop, recording stuff there, like well, you see how my taking book over buildings. With, 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 with Polly getting stabbed. Yeah. You know, they didn't understand us. We opened the 87 door. Sometimes there'd be a knife coming. They didn't, they didn't know what the hell was going on. All they yeah. knew is they didn't want our noise or our people there because it was distracting business. Yeah. And they, you said they almost looked at you guys as another gang. Because they didn't understand us. Yeah. Meaning the local people, the yeah, local right. gangs and drug dealers of the area. Yeah, that was that was deep. That blew my mind. Because you know, it ha- we, we see, you know, we're in New York every day. We see what it is now. We remember what it was. and. What what but, caused it? You know what's crazy is like when you, I wasn't in New York at that time, and what you said before, like you you were like what your mom thought of New York was that that's where the criminals hanging out. That's what it was to to me and my household yeah. and my parents. So you see remnants though. You'll be walking down the street depending on where you're working, and you might see somebody, yeah. and they just you could tell that's a dangerous person. He's old school New York. Just the way he's dressed, the. The style of oh, clothes yeah, yeah. he has on, the look in his face—that's an old school. We were talking about New York, this especially on the trains. You can still exactly. see it. You can on the trains. Yeah, feeling that nut job comes in. But the secret we always had is, if somebody crazy walks in and they start getting crazy talking to you, get crazier and talk back to them. Yeah, and they're like, "What the fuck? This guy's crazier than me." So they walk <laughs> away and go talk to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. you know. We also had things like, because I, I knew I speak Spanish. I was one of the only kind of few guys I knew I speak Spanish. There was another guy, Dave. He knew I speak Spanish too. So we would call it routine one, routine two. Like, I'll just talk, talk to them in Spanish. And they'll be like, see, sí, okay, bien. You know, and then, then they thought we were all like Spanish and they just kept walking, whatever. In fact, that worked for us once when we were on tour in Colombia. 
and we were in Bogota. We were getting ready to go back home. I was with Vinny. We were supposed to, we had to cancel the show. Vinny had something went bad with Vinny. So I'm like, fuck it. Let the band go. We'll go meet them in Brazil. But, you know, let's let's get out of here. And they had a, a coup in Colombia where the, the, the military took over the government. Next thing you know, they're coming into the airports and they're checking for IDs. Holy looking, shit. Looking, just checking for us, passports, pulling people out. Vinny goes, routine one. So I, oh, I show my passport, I start talking to Vinny in Spanish. Oh, yeah. Cubano. Okay, thank you. And that's it. Beautiful. They were pulling out like So remember, Americans Vinny, remember the old lingo Vinny, from the Vinny just routine nodded. One. Ask Vinny about it. Be like, oh shit, yeah, in Colombia, routine one. Routine one. He wow. knows exactly one, two, or three. He knows what's going so, on. So, so and Vinny was uh, sort of a, a local that was actually born in that area, kind of? Yeah, Vinny's a New Yorker. Yeah. Born, born right where 25 Mile Street. That's his yeah. Home. And was there a lot of guys like that? Or most people came in from different areas? There was, eventually, it was, I mean, the, the heart of the people that were locals, you could, you could say are like uh, off the top of my head of people we know. You, you know, of course, you got Harley, you got Vinny. Not many from Manhattan, though, right? Like a lot of Queens the, guys. Were yeah, those are the Manhattan guys. Then yeah. the Queens was a big in, first influence to the New York hardcore scene. You yeah. know, think about Murphy's Law. Think about um, she's uh, Urban Waste. Yeah. Who else? Um, uh, Ernie's band, Ernie's brother, the the Prada brothers, Ernie and his brother. Uh, Token entry, Token all entry, those bands, yeah. all these, all this crowd, all these are big. Queens band were like the first yeah. big. Th- Ramones, yeah. Think about it, the Ramones. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, Corona, uh, right? Uh, no, I don't think they were from Corona. Something Bay, something. Uh, Sheep, was it Sheepshead Bay? I don't know. No. Offhand, I don't think Corona. Bay Shore. Maybe that was it. Yeah, I mean, just think about it. There's a lot of bands also from the Queens yeah. area too. Yeah. And I don't really remember much of the Brooklyn bands or Brooklyn people as much. Seems like later on. Yeah. Well, one one guy that you he seems like you you guys sort of collaborated with him was Pete Steele a little bit. Yeah, talk about Brooklyn. There you go. <laughs> like a Brooklyn guy with with his band, and did, he he was in, on some lyrics lyric writing or yeah whole yeah. Songs? There was a time it's in my book. There was a time where um, you know I just took a break from it all. I just, yeah. I I had done something stupid. I had to kind of move this disassociate this this. Uh, Kind of move away from the scene for a minute, yeah. you know? And they had Carl the Iceman as a singer. Carl from the Iceman? Oh, yeah? Carl Marshall, yeah. yeah. He sang. He was singing with them, practiced with them. And um, and I wasn't really writing it as much. I kind of had a little bit of... I don't even like to say writer's block because that's kind of ridic- ridiculous to think about that. I just wasn't feeling what, the, what was going on, you know? Yeah. And I, I wasn't... And I kind of took... Just left. I wasn't be- really at the practice. So then they had... They had Pete write some stuff, you know. So, so when I came back a week before the recording the record, I just Vinny asked me to come back and do the lyrics and, and just do the record, which I did. But I wasn't really prepared. I wasn't mentally prepared. I didn't know, really know how any, anything went. I was also sick. That's one record that's kind of hard for me to listen to for that reason, because I know if I would have had a month to sit on it or something like that, it would have been better. But it's also hard to, to sing songs. It's also hard to sing songs that other people wrote. You know, because they're thinking. Oh, I didn't know ways. if it was a, a thing with you and him sitting down and writing no, stuff. No, and not no, at no, all. no, no, no. Oh, okay. There was a when I had when I was a when I would go to rehearsal with him when I was kind of not there. I told him like kind of my some some my like what I what I was feeling and and he went off with it. He wrote what he wrote. Yeah. Basically, him and Kabula did this more of him Kabula yeah. collaboration. Really, okay, what okay. it was. Kind of like it, you're not into it, they know, but so they yeah, and I wasn't around, so him and Kabula kind of did it. And okay, that's what okay. it was. You don't like those songs, though. I do. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Is what I what I didn't like is I didn't get a chance to get. Comfortable you wish you, with yeah, them. okay, I got you. 
Which make I feel better own, like, yeah. like if you had more time, or, or you could make them your own. Just more time to kind of make them my own and kind of. Yeah, sure. You know, take them in. Were you a fan of any Pete Steele's projects? Oh, I love fucking Carnivore. How about Typo Negative? I love even before Typo Negative. Yeah. Um, I still have that single. Uh, Jesus, I kind of drawing a blank now. I'm a huge Typo fan. Do you, are you familiar with um? The name of that freaking single before Carnivore, before Typo Negative. It's the same keyboard as, as Typo in Negative. In between Carnivore and Typo? Before. Really? I don't know. Well, I... I oh, shit. It's a project that Pete Steele was, was on? It, yeah, it was before oh, Carnivore. Jeez, oh, yeah. I can't believe I can't remember right now. I'm, I'm kind of pissed off at myself. Oh, was he a, a staple in the scene back then, or he came on later? He came on, he came on a little bit later. Yeah. A little bit later. Let me see if I can find... Uh, big, big creepy looking guy, right? Fallout. 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 That's that was the name? Movie, Fallout. I never heard that. Hey, look. That's the single right there. Fallout. At one point, I, I never had saw that. Show Joe that. that thing. That is a very rare record. Fallout. And it was more carnivore or more type O? And before both of them. chick with a gas mask. Kind of, in, kind of, uh, kind of, if, if Or the you, prelude uh, to carnivore. Prelude to carnivore. Oh, before amazing. carnivore. Yeah, but I mean style It also has keyboards and stuff wow, like that. Wow, I got to check it out. Yeah. Was it cool? It's fucking great. Wow, that's so. Yo, dope, I gotta dude. put a picture of that up on our yes. uh, on the social media because that's amazing. I no, never, it, I've never seen that. I've never even heard of it. Yeah, that's yeah awesome. it's very, very. And rare. I'm, I'm the, into, the, the, the story it, behind that record, by the way, is that uh, only about two hundred of them are out there, something like that, because it was a flood or something. Pete Steele's basement, and they flooded, oh, yeah. destroyed. Wow, so very it's rare even record. more rare. No, I heard some uh, interviews with you. This, this guy knows his stuff. It's like it's punk rock, early hardcore. He's a big collector too, right? Yeah, I. I I do all my stuff's early stuff. I just yeah. held on to everything. Yeah. Including those records you see right there. Pete gave me those records. Yeah. Uh, you know what I used to have? And I only got one. This, it's like a box set, agnostic front with all 12 inches in it. You ever see that in the wooden box? You slide it open. Oh, that's the one that came out in comes Europe. Comes with a patch. Yeah, yeah. That's a, a, a box full of hate. That's awesome. Box and I can't find it. It's in my house somewhere. I can't find it's it. It's got a patch, a certificate. A big like, poster, a fold-out yeah, poster. Yeah, and then it's and all colored co- and picture all, vinyl. Right. Yeah. Of uh, Cause for Alarm, Liberty yeah. and Justice, and one, and one Voice. Yeah. Yeah, I got that. So I bought it. I, I got think it from I Big play. Show. You I got think, what? I think I got to go play. Oh, oh shit. Okay, yo, listen. <laughs> yo, uh, you don't know this. I'll tell you right now. This is going to be our 50th episode. Oh, we and, appreciate uh, it, man. We've been trying to get this thing going, and lately it's been kicking into high gear. And this is amazing. This was so fucking cool. Thank yeah. you for doing this. Thank you, really man. Man. If you could, for, you know, sometime. Yeah, for sure. And get me the link, and I'll definitely, share it with definitely. For sure. Uh, I had a great time with you guys, man. It was oh, like we love you, man. It's like really shooting the shit. It's like it felt like I was on tour shooting the shit. Yeah, that's, that's another thing. We got to tour together. Come on, exactly. You can yeah, let's yeah, uh, you can pull the trigger at any time. You got that power. Let's do some some Conor McGregor magic. Okay, we're gonna sell this. Okay, let's start to talk about it and like it's real. Wisdom and chains. Yeah, agnostic front. Cox Bar. Let's make this tour happen, oh, people. God. Let's just wow. keep talking about Sick. it. Let's just keep talking about it until it happens. Okay. You know what I already put in, in Roger's head? A split AF Wisdom doing Ramon songs. Oh, oh shit. That's a great, that's a great split. split. That's a knows? great split. Woo. Yo, thanks a lot, Roger. Thank you, guys. Post America Podcast. Hit us up on uh, Post America Podcast at gmail.com, at Post Americans on Instagram. Shout out to Boyer Chocolates. Thank you for the Mallow Cups. We give you good reviews on Yelp. Thank you. Peace. We out of here.
America Podcast. The Post 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 America